Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, CEO of Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, and this is the Black Hall Studios podcast. Why does a busy Hollywood studio do a podcast, you might ask? Black Hall is home of great movies like Jumanji, The Next Level, and fan-favorite series like HBO's Lovecraft Country. But for me, hosting a podcast is an amazing way to meet people and to connect to the community. I learn from each interview and from each person. My roots are actually in America's heartland, and though some folks might think I've gone Hollywood, I'm now just an Atlanta boy who loves to meet new and interesting people. And yes, some of them will just happen to be famous Hollywood types. I'm a dad, a businessman, but I also love to learn about the philosophy of human nature. So why a podcast? That's why. Thank you for joining me on this journey. I appreciate you. Justin Anthony is a chef, a creative spirit, and an entrepreneur. He's also moved halfway around the globe to realize his dream of a South African-inspired hospitality group. In 1998, Anthony launched the first South African restaurant in Atlanta, Georgia, under the umbrella True Story Brands. With his parents at his side, Justin Anthony's first restaurant, 10 Degrees South, opened its doors to wide acclaim. With a desire to share the lifestyle of South Africa, Anthony has coined the phrase, culinary safari. His goal? Serve remarkable food and drink, be like no other restaurant group in the United States, and imbibe his own personal philosophy of being welcoming, kind, and inclusive within his unique world of South African culture. We're going to talk with Justin and discover more about his journey, even touching on his career as a pro soccer or football player as the rest of the world calls it, and find out how his passion for experiential, culturally focused dining came to be. Listen up. I've got True Story Brands founder, Justin Anthony. So Rooibos or Redbush is basically a fain, it's a type of fain boss. Hmm. Love that. I can taste it. Yeah, you can taste yeah, it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. So this is the classic, which is like a London dry. And then, yeah. Do you guys want to taste as well? It's worth tasting. Yeah. Very yeah, unique he, gin. He needs to bring another glass. You could sip that gin just with you yeah. know, the ice cube. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. sure. Fascinating. You ready? Hi, this is Ryan Millsap. Welcome to the Black Hall Studios podcast. Today I'm joined by Justin Anthony, who's the restaurateur, founder, entrepreneur of an entire set of restaurants. But today we're at his restaurant called Yibo Beach House. Justin, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ron. Great to be here. I've also got my fiance, Brittany McElhaney, who uh, was nice enough to join us. She and Justin are friends, and so I thought it'd be fun for her to join us as well. So, Brittany, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, and before we start, congratulations on your engagement. Thank you. Wishing you a lifetime of love, health, success, and happiness. Thank you very Cheers. much. Cheers. Thank you. Well, that's a nice way to start a podcast. Mm-hmm. And that's a lovely champagne, too. We are on location at the restaurant, so you may hear some background noise, which is kind of fun. Justin, you know, entrepreneurship can take a lot of different forms. 
and you've chosen to be an entrepreneur in restauranting. Obviously, you must have a passion for food, but let's talk a little bit about the psychology. What is the psychology that someone needs, in your opinion, to be a successful entrepreneur? Um, you know, I always say entrepreneurism is not for the faint of heart. Um, you need a lot of uh, guts, heart, passion, um, smarts, but you need you need a lot of stamina as well. It, 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 you know, you get hit many times. You hit, you get hit down. You got to get back up. You know, so it's not for the faint of heart, and it's not for everybody. That's why they are entrepreneurs, and they are people that work for entrepreneurs. But um, it's definitely um, it can be a grind. Um, there's no question about it. I mean, this year is a great proof of, of that for entrepreneurs in different spaces, but especially in the hospitality space. You know, we've taken a beating this year with COVID. So, like I say, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for everybody, you know. T- tell us a little bit about what COVID's been like as a restauranting entrepreneur. It's been devastating to the restaurant industry. Um, obviously, you know, we had to shut down. I had to furlough 100 people. Um, we kept whoever we could. We had to you know, basically feed people for, you know, a couple of months while we were shut down. I mean, people were in a bad place. Um, you know, we slowly and surely got to start opening up one restaurant at a time. And we're now at a point where we have all the restaurants open. But, you know, we're winning some and we're losing some. You know, not all of them are doing great, um, unfortunately. You know, there's there's seating limits. There's all these different kinds of limits. People are still not comfortable. Um, you know, dining in, um, some not... not not everyone's still comfortable with that. So, you know, business is down and you just gotta try we just gotta try to survive, you know. Basically for for restaurateurs right now it's about survival. The great thing is that in, in Georgia, you know, we're still able to to open. You know, I, I just came from LA and I feel so bad for them. I mean, like they can't even dine outside. So I don't know how they're gonna survive. I mean, this is their second shutdown. Um, but it's been brutal. And I just, you know, hopefully, you know, we can survive. I think that there's gonna be a lot of restaurants that are not gonna survive. Um, so right now it's just about survival. Now, were you an entrepreneur outside of restauranting before you went into the restaurant business? No, my path to the restaurant business is a, is a, is a, it's a, it's a different path. So I used to be a professional soccer player. Um, I turned pro at the age of 18 in South Africa and, um, played for a team called Joma Cosmos and then went to play in England and, you know, ended up playing, coming to play for the Atlanta Ruckus in end of 95 and um, played here for the Atlanta Ruckus, which became the Atlanta Silverbacks and is now Atlanta United is the big team. But um, I had a knee injury and my friends were signing big contract, contracts all over the world and I was getting offers back in South Africa and like Portugal and like just like random places. And I w- the Olympics came to Atlanta. I really liked Atlanta and my knee was bothering me and I just like... One day I looked in the mirror and I was like, if I can't play at the top level anymore, I'm not going to play. So I literally retired and I was like, I didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. And I was like, what is my other passion? And my passion was food. And um, grew up, my, my, my mom and dad are, are chefs and we used to entertain a lot in our home growing up. Um, people would arrive on a Thursday and leave on a Monday, like in and out the house all day long. And like, so I was like, you know, I'm really passionate about food. So I was like, Maybe I should do a restaurant. When I was living in London, I used to go to a little South African pub that used to get me through um, when I was homesick. There were a lot of South Africans moving to Atlanta in the mid-90s and late-90s. So I was, you know what? Let me open up a little South African restaurant, South African pub. I didn't know anything about the restaurant business. So I actually ended up getting a wait, a server position at the top French restaurant here. 
And the chef owner basically taught me everything. He knew that I was looking to do my own thing. Ended up waiting tables and, you know, learning the business from that angle and then literally managing the restaurant while I was looking for a location. And then I found a location. Um, I brought my parents over and I was like, look, I need help. I can't, you know, I can't do this alone. So they ended up immigrating in 90, the beginning of 98, I think it was. And we opened up the very first South African restaurant in the United States called 10 Degrees South, which is now just over 22 years old. So, you know, it was on Roswell Road in Buckhead and in a little house. And people thought we were absolutely crazy. Um, people were like, the South Africans thought we'd be in business for like three months because people didn't know what, back in, the, in those days, there were like two sushi restaurants in Atlanta. <laughs> like, never mind South African food. They didn't know what, they were like, there's no way. So we did that and, you know, thank, thank, Thank God it, it, it worked out and, you know, people really took to it and they really enjoyed it. And, you know, we, we had we had our instances. People came in thinking we were a Jamaican restaurant, a Mexican restaurant. They didn't, because they didn't know what we were. Um, so, but yeah, so here we are. What was it like for your parents? They, I mean, they, they spent their entire lives in South Africa and they moved here at what ages? My, it's, so it's funny. I think about this all the time because I'm about to turn 48 and my father was 48 when he left South Africa and it was... It was such a big thing to sell up everything and move to the States and leave all his friends and family and contacts and like everything behind. And I think about that and I'm like, it's great that he did it, you know, obviously. And, but it's, he's had a whole, my parents have had like a whole nother life since then, which is, which is crazy to think about. Because I think about that, I'm like 48. I'm like, what, what are my next 20 years going to look like, you know? Um, my mom cried every single day for the first year. She was extremely homesick. And after a year, me and my father couldn't take it anymore. We sent her back to South Africa on vacation. <laughs> we like, just go. And after three days being in South Africa, she called. She wants to come home. And we're like, oh, now, oh, you want to come home. So now it's home. And she came back and she, that was it, man. She, she's never been back to South Africa since. Now, what do you think? Well, that, does she talk vacation. about that? Does she talk about why, why that was? What she experienced when she went back? I think, you know, when you go back, when you've lived in another country, you know, I think the States is the best country in the world to live in. I've lived in many countries. Um, what you remember about home, sometimes you go back and you realize, well, maybe it's not as rosy as I thought it was and things change or whatever the case may be. You know, uh, you know, for me, I love living in the States. I love visiting South Africa, but I don't think I could ever live there again. Well, I love to hear that because I always tell people when uh, they complain about America, I say, now remember, America is the worst country on the entire planet except for all the others. Yeah, exactly. Tell, you know, tell the people that are listening a little bit about your experience living in all different places and what makes America such an incredible place. You know, I just, I, there's just so much opportunity in America. You know, if, for an entrepreneur, um, the sky's the limit. You know, if you dream it, you can build it in this country. I'm a great example of that, starting the very first South African restaurants in the country. We just got interrupted by food. It all showed up at the table. Those are some of the thumps you were hearing. Will you tell us a little bit about the food, and then we'll yeah. jump back to the uh, why America is so amazing as, a, as so let's, an entrepreneur? So let's start from the far right. You see there's, there's a couple sliders here. So that is an ostrich slider. Um, ostrich is one of the healthiest red meat you can eat. So it's super popular in South Africa. Um, it's growing in popularity in the States, but people expect it, because it's a bird, they expect it to be a white meat. But it's actually a dark meat. It tastes very similar to um, steak, like like a red meat. But it's very lean and basically fat-free and cholesterol-free. So it's really it's really tasty. It has to be cooked no more than medium rare because it's a, it's, it gets tough. 
Um, next to that, we have our babuti crepes. So babuti is a South African cuisine is made up basically of a lot of there's 11 official languages in the country, and the cuisine is made up of basically Portuguese, French, Dutch, Malaysian, Indian, and Mediterranean influences. So there's a lot going on. Um, so the babut there's, there's two types of curry in South Africa that are super popular. One is a Malaysian and one is an Indian. So one part of South Africa is super, super popular in, in an Indian curry, which is like a yellow curry, more like, more like a savory, spicy, where the Malaysian is going to be more of the sweet curry. And that you'll find in, in Cape Town, and it's called Cape Malay. And so the babuti is a very, very popular Cape Malay dish. So it's got that sweetness. And we make a crepe out of it. So those are the babuti crepes with a little hollandaise, one of our most popular dishes. And then here, you know, at Yebo Beach House, we switch over to ski house in the winter. So this is one of our dishes that we bring back in the ski house, and it's a, a beer cheese fondue, which you've got a little bread, some mushrooms, some broccoli, and then next to that, the meat is called burrovos. Burrovos translated is farmer's sausage. So basically, that's just an, an all lean beef sausage that we make, and you just basically, with the skewers, and you dip it in the, in the fondue. Well, we're we're uh, drinking beer and champagne and eating fondue, so it definitely feels like it's winter time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to uh, America and the the things that make this country such an incredible place to be a dreamer. Yeah. So if you can dream it, you can you can do it, and you can build it, and you can make it. Um, there's not many countries that allow for that. Um, you know, this 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 is one of those countries where you really can dream it and build it, and so. There's something, you know, you talk, they talk about freedom and stuff like that. For me, that's that's a freedom because that doesn't exist in every single country, um, not by a long stretch. And so, you know, if, if, if you're willing to work hard and smart in this country, you can make it. How do you think that um, sports and sports psychology play into entrepreneurship? You know, it's very interesting you say that because um, business became my sport and restaurants became my sport. But I also happen to study sports psychology at university in South Africa. Um, and so I, I always thought that I would go into some kind of sports psychology role and I ended up a restaurateur, which never in a million years I would have ever thought I, w- I, would, uh, I would do. But the psychology part helps with dealing with people and employees. Um, in terms of the sports, you know, basically I look at every restaurant that we have in our group as a soccer team, let's say, right? Everybody has to play their position everybody has to stay in their lane and everybody has to do their job and it's just like it's just like anything on a, on a, on a team a basketball team a football team you've got a quarterback you know you've got the running back you've got the defensive you've got all these players and you have to know where these players fit in order to run a successful business or run a successful restaurant you know you in, in a restaurant you've got the back of the house the chefs the cooks you've got the front of the house the bartenders the servers you've got the hosts you've got the managers and everyone has to play their role in their position and you know it's 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 like running it's like running a sports team. I look at it more like a, I don't look at it sometimes as a restaurant. I look like I'm basically a coach or a manager of a team. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that makes perfect sense. The other thing I think about when I think of entrepreneurs is I think entrepreneurs are all all running towards some things. Like there's some imagination things that they're dreaming about a life that they want to build. And then I think there that entrepreneurs who are successful oftentimes are running from things. And those things oftentimes are like psychological traumas that they, you know, don't want to be repeated. What do you think some of the things that you're running towards are? And what do you think some of the things you're running away are, away from are? I mean, I'm running towards, you know, 
just my goal for the last 20 years has basically been to educate America on South African cuisine, whether it be the, through food, wine, drink, whatever the case may be. Um, I think the cuisine has a lot to offer and America having basically every type of cuisine. Um, South Africa is still very, very unknown and untapped. We have one of the oldest wine regions in the world, over 300 years old. We have this beautiful cuisine from all these beautiful regions. And so that's kind of what I'm running toward is still educating and building. You know, we have a, we have a product called Biltong, which is our South African beef jerky. Um, it's, it's, it's much healthier than beef jerky. It's, it's air dried. It's, there's no preservatives, no chemicals. It's all natural. Um, so we're about to do that in a retail package and go, you know, hopefully land in some stores and sell online and do all that. We built a USDA facility. So I'm running towards that and in, in, in keeping on building and educating and growing my brand and my company. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm running from, I'm building towards that so I can run from the everyday <laughs> headaches that I have. So that's what I'm running from. I'm, I'm running from the everyday headaches and, and being able to a position where I can do things without having to stress so much about it. So I experience as an entrepreneur that anger toward things I don't like has been a huge fuel to my success. Do you experience anger being a fuel? Yeah, very much so. What does that look like? I experience, anger and um, doubt are my two big things. Like if somebody doubts my abilities or what we can do or and the anger it just yeah it's just it fuels me man I just it makes me drive much harder where do you think that comes from do you know like in yourself like do you say where did that I think come it's from? a problem I'm a very competitive in nature I think that comes from playing soccer I've always been very competitive in everything I do so yeah I don't, I don't like losing at but, all but were your parents competitive like where do you uh, not, not like me no not like me I, I think my father's a little competitive my father was an entrepreneur um, dabbled in many things from video stores to he was a refrigeration mechanic he he was a boxer he was a jockey at one point he, he's, he's dabbled in many things um, and I think that's where I get my entrepreneurial spirit from my mother excellent chef phenomenal I, I mean like she's still an executive chef and basically every dish stems from her recipes and she learned how to cook from my great-grandmother. Um, and so she's very, but she doesn't, she's not, she's not that, she doesn't have that fight. My father's a fighter and I think that's where it comes from. So I think I've got a little bit of both, but um, definitely competitive, uh, yeah. So years ago when I was 20, I went to Israel for a month. I was in between semesters of study uh, in England and I, when I got there, we didn't have any money, so I worked as an illegal worker in uh, Israel with a bunch of South African guys who were all like 6'5", massive, massive dudes, right? Where do you see similarities between South African culture and American culture? And where do you see like big differences? So, you know, Atlanta, I think the reason I settled in Atlanta so fast and so quick is it reminds me a lot of Johannesburg where I grew up. There's no ocean, it's a city. Um, it's very hospitable. South African people are very hospitable by nature. It's a very warm nation and welcoming nation. And I, I felt that in, in, in the South and, and in, in Atlanta, very much so. Um, I think that the similarities, um, it, it's, it's interesting. The, the similarity, everybody wants to 
growing up and still to this day, everybody wants to be American or, or they're very jealous of American. Like people say, oh, America this or they dumb or they this. And that just I think comes from jealousy because everybody wants to be in America or, or, you know, in South Africa, the most popular cars were American cars. The popular clothes and sneakers were American. Like everybody wants to do, you know, have a taste of America. And so I think there's a lot of similarities with the people, but there's there's also a lot of differences like in, in many regards, whether it be cuisine and um, just ideologies and there's a lot of similarities but there's a lot of differences as well do you think Americans are the most competitive people on the planet it's a good question I don't know I don't know I think maybe the Chinese could be the most competitive hmm. yeah they don't like losing where do you, what about the South Africans where do they fit in there nah I mean they're competitive South Africans are very entrepreneurial they're very competitive um like our rugby team, as an example, right? They, they, they're super competitive, but then you look at our soccer team and it's like they're not doing anything and they've just been, you know. So we're competitive, but I think there, some great entrepreneurs have come out of South Africa over the years. I mean, Elon Musk's a great example. Um, there's been some great entrepreneurs. I mean, just in Atlanta, there's so many businesses in, our, in Bucket that are owned by South Africans. Um, they're just very entrepreneurial by spirit. Hard workers. South now, Africans work hard. Now, did you marry a South African or an American? American girl. Uh, my wife, Kelly, is from um, a small town in Florida just outside of Daytona called Port Orange. So she grew up a beach girl, fishing, all that kind of stuff, moved to Atlanta to st- uh, study. She's an interior designer. And she just ended up staying. And we met in 99 at 10 Degrees South. I saw her the very first week I was in Atlanta. Um, my buddy was an auctioneer and he, I, I was playing soccer. It was like th- my first week. And I went with him to purchase some rugs at an oriental rug store. And um, there was this hot little chick in there. Like the whole place was like, she was just flipping rugs. And, I, and like we were like, what's going on? Like, who's this hot chick, you know, buying all these rugs? And my buddy's got a huge ego and he was so upset that they weren't paying attention to him. And like, so anyway, we like kind of flirted with her or whatever. And then... I would see her around town at like some of the clubs, you know, and bars and stuff. And she was always in VIP and, you know, stretch limos and all this thing. And I was like, that's the rug girl. There's the rug girl. And then she walked into my restaurant like a couple of years later or a few years later. And as she walked in the back door, a friend of mine was dating a friend of hers. She had just broken up. I'd broken off a relationship. And they were like, yeah, we want to introduce. They kept on saying they wanted to introduce us. And they brought her to the restaurant. And as she walked in the door, I was like, oh, my God, it's the rug girl. Amazing. And we've been together ever since that night. Incredible. It's like I'm not letting that rug girl go. <laughs> <laughs> Where have you experienced in your marriage to an American the cultural differences? Yeah, it was a little interesting at first. You know, um, South Africans are very close to their parents. They stay at home a lot longer. So, like, they only move out of home maybe when they're, like, in their 20s, mid-20s and stuff like that, where Americans get out as soon as they can. So that's a major difference. Um, my mom would do everything for me, you know, laundry, cook, clean. Like, that's just very, like, that's, that's how it is in South Africa. Like, it might, may sound chauvinistic, but, you know, women play their role and men play their role. And, and Kelly was like, uh, 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 like, you, like you, click, you clear your own plates. So that, that was interesting. And I was like, let my mom be a mom. <laughs> So, yeah, those are the cultural things that, you know, were, were interesting. But Kelly um, is, has a, her, her parents were, Ger- were German, so she already had some of that little bit of European, you know, thing about her. And so she, 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 she caught on real quick. We've been together so long. I mean, she uses a lot of South African slang words and, like, people think she's South African. I mean, she sounds American to me, 
but people think she's South African just by some of her mannerisms and what she says because we've been together so long. But yeah, guys, how many years? Been together 22, married 19 this past November. Yeah, so, you, yeah. You, spend the, you spend that many years with somebody, you're going to pick up a lot of their mannerisms. Yeah, exactly. If it's, uh, you guys have your own culture. You have a third culture now. Yeah. Do you have children? No children. No children. We never, not, it's not that we never tried, it just never happened for us, and we're okay with that, you know? Well, you've got your own little culture, which is this like blended South African American culture. Yeah. That then is birth this entrepreneurial life because she's also an entrepreneur as well she is she's a super successful interior designer um, does stuff for some major people around the world um, and literally I mean designs things uh, amazing homes um, her average home is about 20,000 square feet and she, she just has phenomenal clients that build phenomenal house homes and businesses and so she, she she's super successful she's one of the um, I often get asked like who entrepreneur like who which entrepreneur do you respect the most and I'm never biased I'm, I try and shoot straight she I respect her very very much because she she does she's not a she's not she wasn't really book smart she just has an eye like no other but she's super super smart in business and makes a lot of good decisions and works her ass off man I mean she works hard um, and just doesn't skip a beat, man. She she is a she is a machine, and she is so ta- I, like I, I can't even express how talented. Like people talk to me and they always talk about interior designers and this and that, and I always say this. I'm like, she is the Michael Jordan of interior designers. Like she is on another level. Like I've never seen anything like it in my life, um, and I've been exposed to some beautiful thing and uh, beautiful designs and stuff like that. She's just on another level, man. And anybody that ever works with her says the same thing and that, that they would they would say the same thing well Brits told me that before yeah she's amazing and I want to say too because you guys are such an amazing power couple to where she designs everything in your restaurant so not only is the food amazing but you go into these places and you just have this whole experience yeah because she's created this environment that's just so beautiful to be in yeah thanks it, it really I, I'm so fortunate in that regard um, because I've got my mother who has amazing food and recipes that has been able to teach our chefs. Um, I have Kelly who designs our restaurants and basically it's all my vision that people have been able to pull together, which is, it's a blessing. Um, But yeah, that's why we struggled so much with COVID as well. Some people were able to pivot with uh, takeout and to go. We've never been big on that because we're a very experiential restaurant. Um, So, you know, we. Once, once you come into our places, it's very experiential from, you know, from the second, it's the beauty of the place, the food, the smell, stuff like that. So um, we struggle even more so than a lot of other restaurants, you know, and people aren't thinking, hey, let's get South African tonight. You know, they're thinking, let's get pizza, wings, you know, stuff like that, maybe sushi, because you can't make sushi at home. So stuff like that. So we, we, we struggle and, and we're super happy that to be back open. Yeah. Well, it's such a beautiful restaurant, and, and really the food should be enjoyed in the beautiful space. Especially this new space, is it's nice to be spread out. I know that the old place yeah. that was over um, near the St. Regis was a little smaller. Yeah, it was a lot smaller. It was an old house, and so while it worked for us, it was a beautiful space. This is so much better, especially during these times. It's all open, indoor, outdoor bar. All the windows and doors open up. So it's kind of like al fresco. Kind of feels like you may be in Los Angeles or St. Bart's. Or, and the goal was to feel like you were in Cape Town. Um, and so and that's what Kelly does, man. She, she, she doesn't design any other restaurants, only ours. 
Um, and she's very, very good. Like if I say to her, I want it to feel like Cape Town, it will feel like Cape Town. If I say I want it to feel like I'm on a safari, it'll feel like you're on a safari. Yeah. Where are you guys doing the, because they switch restaurants from ski house to summer house. Where are you guys doing the ski house this year? So um, adjacent to the, where the, the, the space we're in right now, I took another space uh, next door mm-hmm. and we've turned that into the ski lodge, if you will. Love it. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, this shift kind of feels like mm. a upper, uh, Aspen, kind of got an Aspen feel to it, like upper ski, you know? Mm. How is it, how do you guys balance a marriage that is two hard charging entrepreneurs? Yeah, it's always worked for us. You know, mm. we both work during the day, obviously, um, you know, Kelly's obviously in her office or out on installations and stuff like that. Um, and then, you know, I work day and night. So, you know, she let's say she finishes at the office around seven. If she wants to see me, she comes to the restaurants, whichever one restaurant I'm at. So we've always done that. I mean, she, she's been coming to the restaurants after her day job for years now. Like, I mean, that's just, you know, that's what we do. That's your that's your together time. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's and then like, you know, yeah. And then like if we get home, some, you know, obviously there's different different phases and different nights of the week I'll be able to get home earlier um, and then you know yeah and we, I try to take Sundays off um, we've opened some new restaurants that are open on Sundays so that's been a little tough but I always try and take that one day off that we can just spend together or spend you know do or just relax you know interesting story uh, Dan Cathy who owns Chick-fil-A mm-hmm. his father Truett started Chick-fil-A and you know Chick-fil-A's are closed on Sundays and Dan told me the story that the real reason that they started closing on Sundays is that his re- entrepreneurial restaurateur father was just exhausted. Yeah. He needed at least one day to recharge because there was only so much hospitality you could do without some sort of like break. Yeah. You know, so it's funny to hear you say like yeah. Sundays I try to take off. You know, Sundays have always been a big family day for us. Like my mom will make food at the house or they'll come over to our house. It's, it's like, it's just that one day that we get to get, look, we end up working anyway. <laughs> Let's be honest. We end up complaining about the restaurants or talking about the restaurants. I mean, through the years, we've like tried to make rules, like no talk about business. My mother used to freak out and be like, no talk. It's impossible. But, but it's impossible. Mm-hmm. It's impossible. How have you seen the restaurant ecosystem in Atlanta change over these two decades that you've been oh, in business? Dude, it's been unbelievable to watch. Um, you know, when I came here, it was steak and potatoes, man. It was it was a meat and potato town. There was not a lot of, the, there was a lot of corporate restaurants. Um, the fanciest restaurant was maybe a Houston's and maybe some, a couple French restaurants. Um, and like I said, there were literally like two sushi restaurants. They were like, well, we don't eat raw fish in this town. You know, like it was that kind of thing. Um, and it's amazing, like all the, there's been a lot of, I think a lot has helped. A lot that has helped. There's been a lot of immigration here from different parts of the world. Um, take a look at, like, there's Buford Highway, for example. You've got all these different cuisines from all over the world: Vietnam, China, Mexico. Like, I mean, it's just crazy, uh, just crazy, crazy um, cuisines. Atlanta has never been given the the nod of a big food town, and I, I, I never, I've never understood it because, like, there's places like Charleston or Austin, Texas, and, and these. Nashville even and I'm like like Atlanta's up there with some of the top I mean look it's not New York but it's up there man it's, it's definitely up there with our restaurants and it's been great to watch just like people you know like opening up great restaurants and great sushi restaurants and great Italian restaurants and you know just these different cuisines and it's come a long way man a long way in, in two decades 
How do you experience the relationships between the owners of restaurants? Are they pretty strong in this town? Yeah, the community, the restaurant community in Atlanta is pretty strong. Like during the whole COVID thing, we all kind of banded together, try to help each other. It is pretty strong. Everyone competes with each other for sure. Um, but the relationships are strong. You know, obviously I'm tight with a few, a few like really tight with a few restaurateurs and chefs. Um, and we always bounce ideas and stuff off each other. We're in different cuisines, so you know, it, it, there's no, we, don't, we compete for the same customer base, but there's enough of their customer base to go around where they might feel like, you know, sushi one night, or they might want, you know, our, our cuisine one night. So it just depends, you know. So I think you, people come. I think people come like, our food is great. I don't think people say like, oh, like people will be like, oh, let's go for sushi. They're not going to be like, oh, let's go for South African tonight. I think they say let's go to Yebo Beach House tonight. You know, they just know that the food's good. It could be anything, to be honest with you. That's right. I don't think I don't think most Atlantans or Americans in general would have any idea what South African food was. They'd just experience what we're you know noshing on here that is fantastic, and we wouldn't think, oh, that South African food is incredible. We'd just say Ebo Beach House has incredible food. Exactly. Yeah. Where Where do you see? So, so you've you've taken some things cross culturally, like biltong. Right from South Africa, and you brought it to America, and you said this this will work. This will work in this culture. Are there any things American that you say, man? I need to take that back to South Africa. And that would work there. Nah, they've got it all, man. You know, they've got it all. They make they make great burgers in South Africa. They make great pizza. There's nothing. I wish there was something, but there's nothing. You know, um, they make great wines in South Africa. Uh, you know, the, the American wines because of the exchange rate. The, the, you know, the, the money exchange rate. The American wines would be so expensive there. Um, but yeah, no, I wish there was something, but no, nothing, nothing food was. So if an American said, Hey, I want to go to South Africa, what would you say? And where, what would you tell them to do? I get that question every week. Um, literally like I've got a, I've got an email, like an email, same email. I just send it out to everybody. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, look, unless you have ties to Johannesburg, there's no real reason to be in Johannesburg. Um, it's a dangerous city. Um, just like any 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 major city, but it, it's a little on the more dangerous side. Um, Cape Town is one of the most beautiful cities in the world. Um, mountains, beaches, wine country. Um, it's basically if 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 it's it's a blend of Southern California and Northern California is what it is, and it's just an amazing amazing place with an amazing climate. Um, so Cape Town is a must. If you've never been on safari, for sure, hundred percent must. Um, there's something very very Something that touches your soul when you're on safari and you've got a lion in an open jeep like right next to you. There's just it's just it's just weird and it's it's cool. Um, so safari and Cape Town are the two things you know that that obviously I recommend. We've talked about going on safari for a honeymoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What time of year should we go? I think February, March is always the best time. It's the best weather. Um, it's coming towards the end of summer, start of fall. Um, the weather's great. The some people think they're going on safari in winter is the best because the grass isn't the grass isn't as thick, um, and they think you can see more. But it's so cold and it's it's just it's cold in summer. You know, like when you wake up in the morning, like you layer up and then it gets hotter during the day. You know, it's kind of that that California weather where it's like you know can be in the 30s or 40s in the morning and then like by midday it's 70, 80 degrees. Um, but I think February is February is a great time of the year to go to South Africa. Yeah, there's a lot of South Africans in Southern California. A lot. A lot of South Africans everywhere. Is that right? Everywhere. All right. I mean, everywhere, literally. Uh, Atlanta's got a huge population. Dallas, Southern California, um, New York, 
everywhere. London, I mean, yeah, we're yeah. everywhere. Is that does it does it feel like when 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 you see other South Africans, is it an an instant bond? Do people stop and talk to each other, or is it just like yeah. oh, they're everywhere? No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, if you hear the accent, you might, you know, like in Atlanta, it's a little less common. You know, like I probably wouldn't stop because there's so many South Africans, and I know a lot of them. Um, but yeah, if if you hear the accent, you definitely might be like, you know. I, I used to do some business down in San Diego when I lived in L.A. And San Diego has a huge South huge, African population. Huge, huge, yeah. And, and, they talk, and they used to talk about the South African mafia yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. I know a lot of those guys. <laughs> <laughs> the mafia is everywhere. Well, when you think of... Um, the, the dreams you have for Atlanta. What are some of the things that you'd love to see over the next five, ten years happen in Atlanta, both on the restaurant scene and just you know culturally? Um, so Atlanta's always struggled with its identity. I've thought you know like it pushes it pushes to the limits, and then it kind of backs off as like scared. Like well, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. You know, and I think that's a southern thing. It's like we still want to keep Atlanta, Atlanta, but I think that. You know, it's bursting at the seams with all the, I mean, as you know, the, the movie industry and all this that's coming to Atlanta. I don't think they can hold it back for much longer. So I think just by organically, it's going to it's gonna change and grow. And you see that now, you know, like I know it's a crazy time with COVID, but like you can see the crime spiking. You can see, and this is what happens in major cities, especially cities that are growing. So I'd like to see the crime kind of come, come under control. Um, and I think I would love to see, you know, some more great restaurants and I'd love to see more people moving here though, because Atlanta's still not New York. It's not LA. There's not that many people that, you know, all these restaurants are going to survive. Let's be honest. People in Atlanta, they don't go out seven nights a week like they do in New York city or LA, you know? So, um, I think, I, I hope that hopefully that more, more people move to Atlanta and then, you know, we can get some more um, great restaurants opening up. And I'd like to see some more restaurants from, you know, from other cities opening up. Yeah, we, we've seen a few. A lot didn't make, a lot haven't made them over the years. But I think that's changing now. And I'd like to see some more great restaurants opening here. So as you've expanded your footprint and taken new concepts, you've, you've kept, you've stayed that, you've kept all that in Atlanta. Have you ever thought about taking some of these concepts to other cities? Yeah, I did a little pop-up um, bar in new york with a friend of mine a few years back and um you know we were very close to signing a deal in los angeles and um new york um to do uh, a 10 degrees south which is our first south african restaurant and to do a biltong bar which is our beef jerky and booze concepts in new york um you know in hindsight i was upset when the deals fell through but thank god they did fall through to be honest with you because i would I would be going out of business probably now. Well, the cash flow would have got so yeah. negative. And the reason I the reason I didn't do it is I was going to have to live on a plane basically, and I was going to have to basically move to New York. My wife and I had just renovated our, our new home, and I'm like, do I want to like leave this and go live in a box? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. So I changed I changed direction. I pivoted and I said, let's just open in Atlanta, and let's just expand in Atlanta. And so that's what we've done. I you know I think from a cult from a lifestyle standpoint, that's a genius move because. You know, for years I spent my life on planes. I was living in L.A. and I was buying apartments all across the country, mostly in the South during uh, the downturn after Lehman Brothers failed. And when I was able to finally, like, take a breath and really put down roots in Atlanta, it felt so good uh, to be able to do business and live life in the same town and not be in that spread out, 
life where you live one place and you do business another place. I think you made a really good lifestyle choice. Yes, for sure. You know, in that regard. What are some of the things that you love about Atlanta or and Georgia outside of restauranting and just what are some of the things like culturally, some of the things you guys love to do? I mean, honestly, Ron, we just work, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's the entrepreneurial curse, actually. We, we just work. I mean, if we're not working, I mean, we like to travel. So, um, I mean, look, I love it. I love Atlanta. Atlanta's been really good to me and my family. I love I love Georgia. And, I mean, we love going to, like, Lake Oconee. I uh, love going up. Friends of ours have homes at Lake Burton and stuff like that, you know. We used to have a, a, a lake house up at Lake Lanier. Um, we sold that because we just never went. Um, but we like under the we like under the beach. We like travelling to Napa Valley, um, you know, London. Like when 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 you can travel, you know, we if we get a gap, we like to travel. Yeah, no, I I I get that. It's hard it's hard as an entrepreneur to find the time to feed your own health. Yeah, because your companies become so all encompassing. Yeah. Um, and that's been that's been especially true this year for us, just because as we're trying to survive this thing, it's just like it's all encompassing. We, we're at the stage where we don't even make a plan anymore for the week or the next day. We wake up and we say, "What is the plan today?" Because every day something happens. Every single day something changes, and something happens. And what you thought you were going to do tomorrow ends up being the complete opposite of what you do. And it's just it's just. It's crazy times and you can't plan anything right now in our industry because literally things are changing every single day. And people are crazy, man. People are like, people are acting crazy. <laughs> people are just not in a good place right now. Like I think everyone's over it and everyone's just like, and people are like just doing crazy stuff, man. Okay, so this question is not a sports psychology question because sports psychology is really all about present moment living, which a lot of entrepreneurship is really. It's like what you just described. You get up in the morning and you say, what are the problems that I have to face right now? But this is a bigger picture question, which is how do you think the universe is organized? Do you think there's an organization? Do you think this is all yeah, chaos? No, there's definitely an organization. There's, there's something out there, man. There's definitely there's something about the universe. You, know, you know, like um, I used to laugh. I'm good friends with Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, and she always she always talks about the universe. You know, like let's let me ask the universe. You know, and, and she asked the universe, and then I started asking the universe, and that's like I don't know. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if God is the universe or if you know, but there's something bigger out there, and there's definitely some kind of a pattern. I haven't figured it out yet, um, but yeah, I, I definitely. Um, sometimes I have to put my faith in in something bigger, not only to stay sane, but I think things have a, a way of working themselves out for a reason. So, you know, sometimes you just got to put your faith in it and just hope for the best, man. You know, like people are just like I said, like even like our staff. Like I deal with it on a daily basis. Mentally, they 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 they're exhausted, right? I mean, like you get a little tickle in your throat. Do I have COVID? Like there's just this anxiety that people are dealing with on another level. So like you have to deal. It's hard enough dealing with problems in a restaurant because there's a lot of things that happen on a daily basis in a restaurant. There's just so many things that happen, and you have to be very multi-faceted and multi-task. And when you add another dimension of adding this anxiety and this, these things that are happening. It's just, it's draining, man. It's definitely draining. Well, you touched on this, but this is actually my favorite question to ask people because it's really like my primary life haunting question, which is, do you think the universe has a personality? 
yeah, right now I think it's got a bit of a dark sense of humour right now. The universe's sense of humour is a little dark right now. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's angry with us or what's going on, but there's definitely yeah, um, definitely definitely has a personality for sure. I think so. It feels like it, it doesn't does, it? Yeah. Right. I mean, because whether it's a, a dark sense of humour or or anger or sadness or excitement or delight, yeah, like it doesn't feel like all these these emotions that we experience came out of nowhere. Yeah. You experienced that too. hundred percent. I'm so glad I'm not alone. <laughs> what do you think, Brett? You think the personality, the universe has a personality? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we talk about this stuff all the time. Definitely has a personality and it's very apparent right now. <laughs> well, if the universe has taste buds, yeah, it should come to 10 degrees South mm-hmm. and it should come here to uh, Yibo beach house where we are. And, yeah. Um, I've been to Biltong Bar. I love all that um, very lean beef jerky, which is fantastic. Um, We're running out of time, but I really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. It's been awesome. Appreciate you having me. Mostly I want to close this up because I want to eat all this food that's getting cold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. (laughs) Bye-bye. I'm Ryan Millsap, and this is the Black Hall Studios Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap. Black Hall Studios.